from Mopi.co. This is the Flagship Pod, a weekly live podcast about the stock market, the economy, and the various market forces powering the world around you. As always, I'm your host, Peter Starr, bringing you this time, you know, a pretty big grab bag of news. We're seeing inflation pressures ease off, and we're really beginning to see the actual market for all these new generative AI inventions to actually take shape as well. So a lot to get into, but as always, I'm joined by Justin Kramer, CEO, co-founder, and chief analyst here at Moby.co. Justin, man, what's good? How's um how's product building here? How are you feeling about the app so far as we approach the end of the first month of our new app being out? Yeah, really excited about what we've built so far. Uh, for those of you who haven't checked it out, it's a completely new experience in the app. Um, if, you, if you haven't seen it, just download it through the app store. Uh, I think you can just type in Moby Invest and it'll pop up. Um, but we're really excited a lot of, about a lot of the progress we made so far. Uh, the portfolios or live model portfolios are coming to the app soon. Uh, interactive uh, learnings and courses, as well as a handful of other things that we're, we're rolling out. So we're really excited about the progress we've been making. And uh, audiences always really do appreciate all the feedback you've been giving us for our core product as well of our all of our core analysis as well. That's been super helpful. And we're adjusting to make sure that we are, you know, finding sort of our core analysis portfolios, finding different sort of like industries to examine for y'all too. So thanks so much for the feedback on that route. We'll get into more of our core analysis maybe later in this. But Justin, just go ahead and uh, start talking about the top of the news, which is um, inflation's really, really cooling off, man. Um, we finally are beneath 5% on the year CPI print on Wednesday, PPI printed on Thursday, both came back slightly cooler than expected. So once again, we just keep seeing inflation uh, go down, go down, go down. Month over month, we are now uh, only raising prices 0.1%. And we're finally starting to see other aspects besides energy begin to drive the bus, so to speak, in terms of bringing prices down. Energy, of course, is the main sort of uh, star of the show here, especially because this time last year was when gas prices really started to spike. So we're going to see year-over-year comparisons via energy for like the next three months be pretty drastic. So inflation should come back even lower. But even better news, we are seeing food inflation come down a little bit too. Food at home and food away from home prices went down, but there are some things that are still sticky. Uh, used cars and new cars have reversed. The prices of uh, new cars is going down a little bit, whereas used cars is finally going up. So maybe Carvana can actually pull off that recovery and the price of shelter is still just unstoppable the housing bubble is real uh, prices keep going up and nobody knows really what to do about it so when you look at this justin when you look at sort of how sticky inflation is um how resolutely we've been in terms of we've raised rates you know 10 times in the past year inflation has gone down basically since july of last year almost for a whole year straight um are we ready to begin thinking about calling the bottom of the market or is this kind of the calm before the storm as you know consumer spending may tighten up next week what are your feelings on this man there's still a lot more risk at the table i mean this is something we've been talking about for a while now yes there are some positive signs um you know i won't disagree with you you know it looks like inflation is starting to get under control but again having said that it's still up you know 0.4 percent month over month and when you think about the fed's uh annual two percent goal well that's still obviously above the goal so i mean more or less like it, it's still an issue, maybe not as much of an issue as it was a year or two ago, but more or less, you know, there's there's still a problem. And so when we look at the equity markets, they've been pretty resilient this year, but everything has been basically premised on the belief that the hike last week was the last of the cycle. To your point, inflation looks like it's being tamed and a soft landing is all but assured. Um, 
but having priced that all of that in kind of like what I'll call like a glass half full scenario, I think right now it's a very interesting time because a lot of investors are at more or less like a, a type of crossroads. Do they either sell the Fed's like hawkish pause or do they double down on what they believe to be immediate rate cuts on the near future? And so when we look at multiple lines of the economy, we still see that the supply chain and manufacturing are you know completely out of sync. We're looking at economic trends, um, which point, which honestly have been pointing to that inflation is stickier than most had hoped for. Um, regional bank chaos obviously is continuing to play out, and there's fears that a commercial real estate, you know, bubble is looming somewhere in the distance. And so all of this is coming amidst an impending, you know, hopefully debt ceiling resolution at some point. Um, but at the end of the day, there's still a lot more, you know, things that I just named that we still have to be looking for at and making sure, you know, these aren't massive issues um, because any of these things could, you know, I wouldn't say tank the market, but are things that can easily reverse course of what many people are believing to be kind of this, this soft landing. And, you know, I think the biggest thing to watch for is the Fed originally said they, you know, we're going to stop raising rates soon, but now it looks like that might not be the case in the terminal rate. Um, we're not, you know, no one's really sure of, I don't even think they're sure of it. So, I mean, long story short, you know, I think this stability that many people are looking for is, is probably unlikely or at least unknown at this point. Um, and that this mission accomplished scenario where inflation is under control is definitely not in the case. I think we're like in this interesting danger zone where, you know, the bad news is going to be really bad and hopefully the good news is relatively positive, but it's never going to be amazing. So I think at the end of the day, we need to focus on, you know, strong income opportunities, be defensive, like invest in areas that if you don't want to put money into the market right now, at least you can earn some sort of yields. Um, but we have to be really careful as markets are still in this very volatile phase. Um, and, and we just have to keep looking at what the, the Fed is going to do because things have been changing month to month. And that's a really good way of looking at it, too, especially since, you know, there's a lot of these new savings accounts out there where people are making 4% of their money by just parking it like in their bank. So a lot of interesting ways that people are sort of thinking about, you know, keeping their money on the sidelines as opposed to being in this situation where we are, you know, dealing with all of this risk, right? Because we are very much in a no news is good news type of the cycle. Like you're not going to see things swing wildly bullish, whereas things can go wildly bearish as even just the smallest bit of bad news out of regional banking just nukes the Dow by 300 points, like without even trying. Whereas, you know, a really solid earnings slate for, you know, Apple, Microsoft, Google, we'll get into that in a second, um, managed to drive the market up you know, not as much as regional banking fears keep driving the market down. So very much the market wants to be afraid right now, but we're sort of getting through that period where we're approaching thinking about bull sentiment. But this week, audience, if you're listening to the recorded version of this prod of this podcast, is going to be critical for that because we're going to get Q1 earnings for all of our major retailers, Walmart, Target, Home Depot, etc. And that's going to give us a better lagging indicator of what consumer spending actually is. The number one thing that has kind of kept this whole weird economic situation afloat has been the irre irrefutable strength of the U.S. consumer. 
it doesn't matter that inflation has been going hog wild for over a year. It doesn't matter that, you know, uh, we're seeing so many white collar layoffs and everything else. It hasn't mattered that economic sentiment for the U.S. consumer, it just keeps going down month after month after month. We just keep spending. That's that's what we do here in America. And um, it's been this awe-inspiring force of nature, seeing U.S. consumer spending. And that has kind of driven a lot of the bull narratives that a lot of people have. But again, credit card debt hit an all-time high in Q1 as well. And so the question is, is that finally going to slow down? And we're going to finally get that figure uh, next week. We don't want to speculate too much. But Justin, when you look at this, like, is is this just like insane or um like what has been driving like consumer spending to be this high man like what is happening here why are we so willing to just like have no savings in this country yeah a lot of it is like due to the accommodative policy that the fed has had over the last you know 10 years or so where everything was okay and you know i think people are still taking that stance that things will be okay similar to your question before on if this is going to be a soft landing or at the bottom a lot of people are just like oh well you know it was a bad year in the markets but the economy is still strong or relatively strong unemployment's low, you know, it, it's not that bad yet. So they're like, oh, you know, we'll continue to spend. Wage growth, uh, inflation is still up. So people are making more money, even though some people are losing their jobs. And so it's kind of like this muted, you know, sense of it's not that bad. We're not, you know, strongly optimistic, but, you know, there's nothing that's glaring that says I should be in a save only mode. I think the only thing that's enticing people to save right now is that the markets are, are doing poorly in that, you know, there's even savings accounts right now that are that are yielding five percent for you know a relatively low level of risk. So, you know, there's a lot of cash on the sidelines, and the excess cash can can go there, but it's not it hasn't really you know slowed down all that much um, on the on the on the spending side as much. And we're seeing Visa, we're seeing a lot of these credit cards report you know stronger than ever earnings. You look at Visa stock; it's floating near its all time high. Um, but to be, you know, more certain, the the spending is largely led by companies starting to spend more and more. So, you know, consumer spending is is staying strong, but the corporate spending is what's picking up so much. That's then rolling into corporate travel. That's rolling into corporate, you know, hoteling. Um, so that's been a big area that's been lacking for the last two years as other parts of the economy have picked back up. Spending led by the corporate side of the equation now is really gonna, or has rather, been really picking back up as things resume in, in person, people are taking out their clients to dinners, they're going to do meetings, you know, in other parts of the world or country. And that's, that's a big source of growth for the overall spending of the economy. Exactly. And that's the one thing that we keep monitoring as well, because it has been consumer spending for the longest time. But now corporate spending, as you said, is picking back up. And we're seeing that specifically in the travel industry. And we'll get to that later in the show. But to address some audience questions real fast, if you're looking for any other sort of leading indicators on where inflation is going, I think one really uh, huge indicator actually dropped this week, and that was Tyson's earnings call earlier in the week, which was just basically catastrophic. Uh, Tyson Food, as you know, uh, more of a meat company than anything else they do some prepared foods as well but they are pork chicken and beef um, and their margins are kind of basically done their margins for beef are at zero they're flat on the year like zero margin growth margins for pork are down two percent and margins on chicken are negative six percent so right now there's very little profitability at tyson because of all the downstream effects of last year's inflation what we've been talking about for a long time audience is sort of the cascading effects of the initial COVID-19 pandemic. And these things are going to keep reverberating, you know, for the next 10 years, basically. COVID, 
caused a lockdown. The lockdown caused supply chain disruptions. Supply chain disruptions led to supply-side inflation, which caused energy prices to spike. And now we're seeing that spiking energy prices also led to higher commodities prices that um, caused feed, feed stocks to spike in price fertilizers to spike in price especially thanks to you know the whole russia situation which is still ongoing as well so we're seeing feed costs go super high which means that it's super expensive to raise beef raise pork raise chicken so we might still see rising meat prices specifically continue to drive food inflation as we're only getting to the beginning of the downstream effects from last year's inflation so even though things are getting more under control there's still a lot that the fed policy just can't control right audience because again like the Fed controls demand, and that's what they've been doing for a year, but a lot of these problems have been on the supply side, so it's one of those things where you're using a screwdriver to do a hammer's job, basically, so just a lot of really wild stuff as we keep watching the inflation situation, so even though we're trending in the right direction, the actual problems keep reverberating around various other areas of the economy, so super excited to see consumer spending, but as you said, Justin, corporate spending is up, and that's really affecting more of, like, the travel industry, so we released a report on Monday for for United, we might have something else for Delta and then some hotel stocks. But kind of take me through this, Justin. Like, is it just energy prices going down that's making travel come back? Or how are how are these travel stocks starting to actually recover? Like, are we going back to 2019? Or is it more of like a long recovery in the travel space? Yeah, so the travel space right now is starting to like kind of approach pre-pandemic levels. So you've seen other parts of the economy pick back up, other sectors pick back up and resume, you know, over the pre-pandemic highs. Uh, when you look at the travel part of the economy, it's something that's been lacking for a while. And that's because United, Delta, Hilton, Marriott, a lot of these companies rely very heavily upon corporate travel. And so while consumers, you know, have been traveling a lot over the last year or so as COVID kind of starts to dwindle, um, the corporate world has been really slow to react. There hasn't been as many in-person conferences. A lot of people have been working from home. Uh, they're not taking out clients as much. And so that part you know, of the, the economy just hasn't done well. And so now this is, it's really going into the summer months, really starting to pick back up. There's global travel um, is, is spiking significantly. Pair that with deep, significant decreases in energy costs. And right now, United and Delta and a lot of these travel stocks are reporting um, earnings and revenue growth like in, at insane margins. And I think a lot of it, honestly, hasn't really been priced in yet. Um, specifically, we just re we released a report on United Airlines earlier this, uh, this week. Uh, they're down about 9% uh, over the last three months, and they're up about 6% over the last year. So, you know, relatively flat, uh, no matter how zoomed in or, <laughs> or zoomed out you're looking at it. But I think the most important thing right now is that for stocks like these, the upside is not necessarily reflected in their current pricing. We think travel is back in a big way in 2023 and that air, air, airlines more or less um, are going to be seeing this massive spike. And, you know, as much as we think it, the airlines themselves have been saying it. Um, so for us, when we look at United specifically, they announced that they're already 54% through their booking curve for Q2. Um, and so they're booking out very far in advance at, very, at much higher prices. And so the summer travel season, whether it be for people, whether it be for businesses, is going to be huge. Um, so yeah, there could be a little bit of depressed demand later half in the back half of this year because of a weaker economy, but ultimately I think they're going to start booking out really far in advance. Prices will be lower. And even if, you know, the consumer side is lower, this corporate travel is going to be a huge theme for this year into next year. So 
you know, pay attention to stocks like that, that, that can, that can get a, a big pickup in spending. So whether it be, you know, credit card stocks, whether it be airline stocks, whether it be uh, hotel stocks, you know, things of that nature, it's a big theme going into this year, into the back half of this year, and then um, into next year. That's, that's a big, big theme for us. And we talk about it a lot more specifically uh, on the site and on the app. And we'll be talking about it more this week too, audience. So we have one already on United. We'll have another one on Delta um, a little later in the week. But one other aspect I want you to watch as well, because another sort of way of looking at this audience as we think about sort of shifts in spending. Yes, corporate spending is going to drive up these travel stocks, your Uniteds, your Deltas, potentially some hotel stocks as well. We are seeing some aspects where consumer spending, even though maybe it could get depressed this year, is shifting from things back to experiences as, you know, the, the World Health Organization and the CDC have announced that the COVID emergency is over, even though the COVID pandemic itself really isn't super over if you look at the actual data, but that's neither here nor there. I don't want to get into that sort of like mess right now. But then you look at other aspects of travel that are popping off a little bit. For instance, big, big win this week. Six Flags stock posted a insane both margin and revenue beat. The stock is up 20%. I want to point out this is Q1 earnings. So this is people going to Six Flags in January in the off season. Six Flags is managing to make a lot more money per guest as people sort of like, you know, have all this pent up need to travel after they might have, you know, extended their own personal lockdown a little bit longer. So we're really interested to see how sort of the, the experience space, you know, your Six Flags is your Sea Worlds are going to do now that, you know, a lot of the restrictions have lifted and people are just, you know, at least pretending COVID is over. We're not going to do a full on analysis in Six Flags specifically because that feels a little overbought. But check us out this week. We do have a more even-handed pick in the sort of, um, what am I trying to say, theme park space. I don't want to give it away on the podcast right now because I want you to, you know, go to app.mobi.co, download our app, get a free trial, see what we're thinking about, and we'll have more of that consumer side of where travel is returning more in midweek. So talking about travel, talking about experiences, maybe even talking about the audio industry this week a little bit as well. Like There's lots of these little places in the economy where you're finding these small efficiencies that can help you you know, build that portfolio, build that foundational strength in an overall, you know, still kind of weak market, especially if retailers come back this week with, you know, more negative results. So again, we are in this phase of the market where we're thinking way too complicated with way too much complication about the market because you kind of have to. This is the season of winners and losers, and it's going to be for the next two quarters, basically, if things are still going according to plan and we're out of the you know, painful part of the downturn. If the pain's just beginning, then that's a whole nother can of worms, but I don't want to overcomplicate it. And that means also, audience, of course, that we are trying to get to these long-term narratives. And so, Justin, I want to take us back to sort of thinking about how we're seeing the market shape in the long term. And I think one thing, Justin, we saw this week, we saw a lot of the actual use cases for artificial intelligence and generative AI finally take shape. We're seeing where the market actually wants to go outside of like the general hype cycle caused by like the war between Microsoft, Meta, Google, and whomever on this side. We saw this week, first of all, Google stock popped off a little bit as they finally got their act together on AI. They launched search labs. They're going to have AI in search. They're going to allow companies to use their generative models like Wendy's is going to have chatbots at their drive-through now, um, which will be interesting. Even though Wendy's swears that means they're not going to hire fewer staff. It just means that the chatbots will make the drive-through experience more efficient or something. Whereas Palantir is finally approaching profitability as their 
you know, data management and now AI models are going to be used by both private and government clients to sort of like navigate their data using large language models. So we're seeing specific use cases for AI being the way we're actually going to make money. I mean, you and me, Justin, we've been waiting for Palantir to have any sense of profitability to like actually deserve their valuation for years now. And it's really interesting how Google is playing both sides, both the generative and specific company use cases for their new Palm model. So as you've watched, as we've watched this happen, Justin, what are your thoughts in terms of how the actual AI market is taking shape right now? Is it more general use or what are you seeing in the specific use space? There's definitely a, a bit of a hype cycle right now for AI. It kind of feels like it's, you know, Crypto Circle 2021 in the sense where it's being mentioned, you know, more so now than ever. Um, looking back even last year relative to this quarter, we did a post on our Instagram about this, but Google has mentioned in their most recent earnings call and Meta, Microsoft, Amazon, Apple, Google has mentioned AI 65 times in their most recent earnings call compared to this quarter last year, it was seven. Meta, 56, 21 the year before, 53 for Microsoft, eight the year before, 12 for Amazon, zero the year before, four for Apple, and zero the year before. So basically, all these companies are just speaking about AI as this is the future of the product when last year they were barely speaking about it. And so there is some truth and validity behind that because GPT and these other models have made huge progress in the last year. But having said that, it's, you know, it's, it's not nearly as much as they're making it out to be. If you rewind, you know, crypto and blockchain was the future, then last year, the metaverse and AR was the future, and now AI is the future. AI really does have a specific use case and has been very prevalent, but, you know, and while we'll be unlike, I think, you know, the metaverse and, and crypto, which is a little bit more pie in the sky, AI has real use cases that will be used going forward. But most of these things you're reading about, whether it be in earnings calls or emerging technologies, either aren't relevant and are just trying to please their shareholders, or they are like good attempts. But realistically, you know, we don't need AI this, AI that. It's only going to ultimately be used for a, a handful of use cases out there and probably owned by a few companies. So... It's similar to all the bubbles we've seen in the past, the dot-com bubble, where, you know, everything was just go to the internet, your valuation 10Xs. It's the same thing with crypto. It's the same thing with metaverse. And, and now it's the same thing with AI. It'll be important, but a lot of these emerging technologies and companies that are utilizing it are, are just going to flame out as like they pr prove not to be, you know, sustainable business models. Um, some, some will be, but, and this is important, but a lot of this is kind of just noise for the meantime. And that's the most important thing to keep in mind, audience. We have to sort of watch actual use cases for AI over the next, say, two quarters, maybe even like the next actual year as we're really more in that iPhone moment where there's a million things that could go right. One way I want you to think about this audience, because a lot of the media talks about how AI is going to take over everything. Um, I want to throw a little math at you guys, just a, like a tiny little concept to help you understand why we might still be a little cagey on where AI is going. Uh, there's, there's two kinds of ways this graph can go. It's either exponential where it just goes up and then just keeps going up faster and faster and faster which is the way the market is talking about it right now, or it could go logarithmic where it starts out going up really fast and then levels off and stays kind of like at 70% forever, basically, right? So the question is, 
AI has gotten from zero to 70 super fast. Like AI can do a lot of really good, cool things right now. Like it can completely ruin Chegg's valuation, for instance. And again, it also, it also helps us. Like I would have hired a research assistant by now if me, if Justin, I, and the rest of the analyst team hadn't figured out a chatbot framework that helps us make sense of a lot more market data that makes us work a lot faster with a smaller team. That's, that's true. That's a real market situation that we are dealing with right now as just a stock company. Imagine how like, you know, bigger media organizations are utilizing this to help organize their information. But that's just organizing information, whereas people trying to use AI to, you know, get past the writer's strike and write movie scripts or write actual articles, people like BuzzFeed are just getting slammed by that not working out so well. So the question is, is AI going to go from 70 to 140 like in the next year or is it just going to stay at 70 forever? That's the difference between an exponential and a logarithmic scale. And so that's how I want you to think about it as you sort of watch information come out about AI. We got to this point real quick. Are we going to stay here or is it going to keep going from here? And that really does remain to be seen because we're going to get nothing but PR for the next bunch of earnings calls like we're going to be talking about AI in in March of next year as well. Unfortunately, uh, it makes you. It's, it's wild comparing the AI hype cycle to the metaverse hype cycle and how quickly, like the metaverse was like hot for a single quarter and then it is completely leveled off as oxygen got sucked out of the market last year. So I'm very excited to see AI have, you know, a bigger hype cycle, but I'm also nervous for it because it will add a lot more volatility than actual value in the market. So that's how we're thinking about it, especially if you can find companies that are talking about their specific use cases and actual changes to their business plan like palantir going profitable or google finding ways to make ai more efficient because that's going to be the other side of this coin like it's so cool that we're doing all these cool things with ai but remember a single chat gpt prompt is roughly eight times more expensive than a single google search and so these things are very taxing and can people do this profitably and that's the one thing we haven't found out yet if i make a general ai product can I make it profitable because people are going to just throw whatever at it and can I actually make money here? So we have a lot of questions still. It's an extraordinarily complex space and that's why we're going to be, you know, a little cagey continuing to move forward here. But Justin, I don't want to, you know, bore people with the nerd stuff forever here. So let's keep thinking about like the general economy where other things are going. Justin, we keep talking about this uh, con um, commercial real estate bubble. What's the status there, man? Are we going to still have a huge crash moving forward or is that more of like a head fake as, you know, commercial real estate developers are just like begging for extra money. <laughs> no, it's something to really be like fearful of. We talked about this probably, I don't know, a few weeks ago now at this point. And it's something that, um, that people are, are now like starting to be more and more aware of. But basically the thinking is that there's all this commercial real estate that's been appreciating value year over year over year. And a lot of it is doing office spaces and, you know, places where people typically had to go to work. Um, and ultimately now with so many people working from home, hybrid, you know, I think it's pretty rare to have people in the office five days a week. Ultimately now these, these loans that are propping up these companies potentially could have some sort of trickle down effect where companies opt out, they can't pay, then they can't pay their mortgage, they default and then the banks all of a sudden own all this real estate and there's a crash in prices. That, that's kind of the fear in a nutshell, industrial retail hotels, not so much it's fearful but it's really kind of more due to office buildings. And so the rest of this year into next year is when we'll start to see if this plays out like the, like many people think it will. Um, analysts and you know investors are concerned that developers might ultimately default on 3.1 trillion of US commercial real estate loans 
That's what they're saying the outstanding balance is, which is obviously an insanely, insanely large number. And 25% of those loans must be refinanced by the end of this year. And with rates super high, people opting out of, um, out of leases, it's going to be extremely telling to see how you know affordable uh, a lot of these developers can hold on to these properties for. And so with higher rates than, you know, the 3% that a lot of people were getting, like uh, mortgages last year, if they have to refinance and their revenues lower, they might not be able to afford to do it anymore. And so you might see a potential office crash, like related real estate crash that hurts the economy in a, in a pretty massive way. Um, you look at vacancy rates in office buildings, they're as high as 20%. Um, in big markets like Manhattan, Silicon Valley, places, you know, places that are like really propping up the U.S. economy. So ultimately, it's it's a real concern. Um, that's not what happened with Silicon Valley Bank. You know, that, that was separate in terms of the crash there. But this concentration of wealth in the real estate markets and due to this, um, ultimately, the refinancing of rates. And when you look at vacancies kind of layered in, you know, market conditions are quote unquote fine, but when you start layering this stuff in, that could ultimately be, you know, pretty challenging for a lot of properties. And that ultimately is going to impact the economy, you know, in an insanely massive way. So it's tough to say how this will all play out. You know, hopefully, um, hopefully the, the, the market will figure itself out, but Wall Street is definitely a little bit worried. Um, and that's something we are watching very, very closely for, because that could be, you know, the black swan waiting behind the curtain for, for all of this. So um, that's something to, to be very, very cognizant of. Um, you know, you, you even look at, say they even figure it out going forward, like is it going to be a big market overall? You look at Q1 2022, there was, um, relative to Q1 2023, and issuance of commercial mortgage-backed securities are down 85%. So, you know, even if it doesn't crash the economy, is it necessarily a big part of the economy going forward? It's you know, it's tough to say, but ultimately, if the, a lot of these real estate values get, get written down, it's, it's not going to be good. And it's one of those things, too, where it's, it's so wild, you know, when you, as a retail investor, kind of look at the ongoing um, home real estate situation, like people, like housing prices are out of control, people are having a hard time buying homes sort of thing, and then looking at how it's just empty commercial real estate space and wondering, can we just like swap those out when you also have to realize you just can't convert commercial real estate buildings into housing too quickly like they're completely different designs like you're not supposed to sleep at the office for an actual reason there's just not enough of like the actual plumbing or whatever or like the actual spaces for like food preparation and all that so it's it's, it's this bizarre mismatch where we have a huge need on the housing side of the equation and a huge oversupply on the commercial side of the equation so just another foible of the COVID economy right and it's going to be very interesting to see how this plays out but it's one of those things that's going to be very slow moving as companies try to find ways to either sell their way out of it you know write down these debts try to find a way to get better rates to refinance with it's going to be an extremely complicated situation it's not going to happen overnight right so really interested to see how that plays out but there's no real way to see how it will so justin i really appreciate you us you know beginning to take us through that but it's something that we are beginning to think about and beginning to sort of price into our risk profiles as we think about analyses so justin that's kind of getting us i think we might have gone over time it's hard to tell we had a late start um but any uh, any final thoughts from you anything we kind of missed here as we're thinking about you know where the market's going moving forward again it's all about consumer 
spending next week. It's all about, you know, just maintaining this sort of like soft landing space and hoping that, you know, by the end of the year, we're thinking about reducing rates. But, you know, as you've looked at this, like anything else you want to make sure we cover before we go ahead and call it here? No, no. I think this is a comprehensive episode. I think the only other thing that I'd, we didn't get to chat about really was like the debt ceiling and, and everything that's going on there. So, you know, I think long story short, um, I think ultimately the U.S. is going to be forced to have to come up with some sort of resolution where they raise the ceiling, maybe reduce spending in some capacity. Um, but at the end of the day, should, you know, for whatever reason that not happen, you talk about massive shocks to the economy, that would be insanely large. If the U.S. defaults on its credit, reverberations throughout the economy, the markets would probably crash, mortgage rates would go flying upwards. I mean, they're going to have to figure it out, and they, they have always historically, but that that would be a, like, you know, absolute complete narrative shift relative to some of the stuff that we've been talking about so far. And audience kind of expect us to talk more about that next week because sparks are more going to fly next week on this. uh, The president's office just bailed on the GOP to basically today uh, for negotiations. They punted that to next week. And so the sort of time limit right now was June 1st for we have to have something sorted out or we're going to default. Now the U.S. Treasury Department is saying we can maybe get to July, I don't know. So we might have a little bit of breathing room here. Obviously the GOP has a minor edge since they have a slight advantage in the uh, House of Representatives despite the fact that uh, the person who was that edge just got indicted on like federal charges. It's a super cool time to be thinking about government in America, folks. Let me tell you what. Um, but again, this is, you know, we're approaching an election year. Um, if the U.S. defaults or, you know, is if Biden is forced into a situation where um, he has to make a lot of concessions on his economic policy that's going to vastly hurt his reelection chances. So dude's going to play ball. We're going to see exactly what the GOP demands here. They're not going to budge here, but it is just going to be the most annoying time in U.S. government. The debt ceiling is perhaps one of the silliest institutions we have to deal with in modern America. But uh, it's one of those things where it's going to get resolved. No one's going to do any bricksmanship because everyone sort of like stands to benefit from a kind of deal. And since everyone's trying to, you know, get that reelection come 2024. So we'll see how that plays out. But prepare for a lot more noise than signal as you go through there. Regardless, audience, I think that's a good place to begin wrapping it up. So really appreciate your time, audience. Justin Kramer, CEO, co-founder and chief analyst here at Moby.co. Again, as always, really appreciate your time. Any final thoughts from you before I go ahead and read the credits here, dude? As always, amazed this was just half an hour or I don't even know how long it was on honestly. <laughs> no, no. Always, uh, always good. These things fly by. So no, happy we got to cover a lot today. Yeah, me too, man. All right, audience. Thanks so much for listening. Just so you know, audience, I'm going to go ahead and read the credits here. This podcast is produced, hosted, and voiced by me, Peter Starr, for Moby.co. If you have any questions for us, you can email us at hello at Moby.co. All of the intellectual value that comes from these podcasts is developed by our analyst team here at Moby.co, which is headed up by Justin Kramer, our CEO, co-founder, and chief analyst here. If you want to get more of our sort of like day-to-day pulse check, check us out over at Instagram and TikTok, or, you know, go to Moby.co and sign up for our email newsletter where we give you sort of like a breakdown day by day of like various earnings reports and you know how the market is doing on a daily basis as opposed to thinking just about macroeconomics which is everyone else right we're going to give you all the signal none of the noise check us out there otherwise audience we really appreciate your time thank you so much for listening and as always we like to leave you with peace love and incremental gains everyone be well thank you so much